So this morning, um, we're going to carry on from where we were last week. Uh, me and Jared are going to do it together, a bit of tag teaming, seeing how it's working. Um, and we're going to talk about vision and where we're going for the church um, over this year. Um, but before we go, I thought it'd be a good idea to pray. I mean, we're in church after all. So, Father, Lord, I pray that whatever I say, whatever Jared says, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impact our lives this morning. Father, teach us to listen to your voice. Father, teach us to treasure the secrets that you whisper into our heart. And Father, I pray that where we have had false thinking, where we've looked and valued the wrong things, Lord, I pray that you would renew our minds and when you would renew our hearts so that we could see like you see. Amen. Amen. Um, before I start, I was uh, this, this week, some of us, uh, Jared and, and the White Houses and Stuart, we were at uh, Kingsgate in, in Peterborough uh, for a conference about churches. And I was just astounded just sitting there with all these churches which had come to learn how to do church better. And there's like Audacious there with Glyn Barrett. And there's Dave Carr there. Like, oh, Trent Vineyard were there. Just like these, I was thinking, wow, if you wanted to take out the church in this country, all you had to do was put a bomb in that room. So I thought I'd better not tweet that. Um, <laughs> but just looking around, it's, wow, all these people. And I mean, I was so impressed with Dave Carr. He's there scribbling notes, scribbling from notes as, as these guys who lead churches of over 30,000 are teaching us of how to, how to bring church up to the next level. God is doing something, isn't he? Yeah. God is really doing something in this nation and, and this world. It's amazing. So, beautiful Lucy, can we have the PowerPoint? Brilliant. So, we're talking vision, but before I, I talk vision of Revived Church, what is the vision for the church? You see, Jesus told us the vision, or should I put the mission for the church, in Mark 16. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. We know what we should be doing. Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say converts. He said disciples. And is it, is it God making disciples? No, it's you go and you make. You go and you make. So can we have the next, next slide? So what is the vision of Revive Church? Well, the first thing is to inspire global revival. What is that? Go into all the world. It's biblical. Taken straight out of Mark 16. Inspire global review, revival. What's the next thing? Transforming local communities. What's that? Make disciples. Raising extraordinary generations. What's that? Make disciples. Now, immediately when we see that, we think of the young. And really, we do need to invest in our young because if we don't, churches which don't die. Honestly, they die. Given 20, 30 years, there's no church. But I also want to see an extraordinary generation of 90s. I want to see an extraordinary generation of 40s and 50s and 60s. Whatever your age, we can all be great and awesome in God. So, doesn't matter what your age is, this message is for you. So how are we going to do that in 2016? Well, the first thing we want to do is get this building built in Kingswood. Um, I'm, I don't know what other people are like, but I'm at the stage where, yeah, just give me an ugly shed. Let's go. We need to get this building built in Kingswood. Um, why are we doing that? We want to transform the local community in Kingswood. And we want to build a base so that we can inspire global revival over East Yorkshire and across the world. That's why we're doing it. That's why we want it. We're going to plant new campuses. Why do we want to do that? Because, same reason, 
we want to transform local communities. We found the best way to transform a, a local community is plant a church in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here in Kingswood. Best way to transform the community. And the third thing was to develop leaders. Again, discipleship. Because do you know what? Me and Jerry can't do it all. There's too many towns, too many villages. You're like this bit, too many lovely countries to go to. I mean, I haven't got time for Hawaii in my schedule, so I don't know who wants to take that one up. No? You want to take that one up? Brilliant. Great, let's get you trained. We want to create a, an amazing, great church. We have an amazing, big vision which Jesus gave us himself, and we need people who are strong enough and able enough to carry out the Great Commission. It's not us, it's us. So, the conversations we're having in leadership are this, are we making converts, are we making decisions, are we truly making disciples? Because you know what, we actually want to be biblical, we want to make disciples. So, we're looking this morning at ways to make disciples. Come to the next slide. Three pillars of discipleship we came up with, and if we have the next one, the first one we decided uh, we would put to you is a life of service. Now, don't think you can just have one of these. You need all three, or the seat you're sitting in will fall over. So you need all three of this. Life of service. If we truly want to create great people, Jesus taught us this. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, if you want to be the first, if you desire to be the most important person in the kingdom of heaven, humble yourself. Make yourself last. Serve others. How do we build a great church? By building people who understand the way to be great is to pour out their lives in service. Not waiting for the pastor to do it. Not waiting for other people to do it, but taking the initiative without role, without title. I'm just going to pour out my life for the kingdom. That builds great church. And then we had the second pillar. You're on it, Lucy. Brilliant. Life in circles. Because nobody in the kingdom is a lone ranger. No one's a lone ranger. But we're not really talking about are you in a connect group or not. We're talking about, do you have deep relationships with people? Is there people on your discipleship journey which you're, you're walking with, or are you running off on your own or trailing back at the back? You need to have people beside you. We all need feedback. I heard this. This is brilliant. Your nose is one inch from your mouth, but who knows? You're probably the last person to know if you've got bad breath. You see? We need people... We need people who we have deep enough relationships to, with that they can say, hey, Chris, you know what? You need a mint today. Or would you like a mint? It's probably the more polite way of doing it. And when they go, nah, I don't fancy it really. No, no, Chris, honestly, I don't know what you ate last night, but you really need a mint today. Because we all need feedback. We all need people to, to tell us what is blindingly obvious to everyone else, and yet we just can't see it because it's right in front of our face. Iron sharpens iron. We need to walk with people, life in circles. Anyone want a mint? <laughs> okay, just me then. Okay, uh, and then if we go to the next slide, we left you on a, never mind, I did that too quick. We left you on a cliffhanger last week saying, what was the third? Well, the third is, no guesses, you can read up the screen, life of outreach. That we, we've said is the three pillars. You need to have a life of service, a life in circles, a life of outreach to truly be called a disciple. You need these three things. And what is a life of outreach? Well, 
Let's go back to the Great Commission. Jesus commanded his disciples, and I'm hoping you still want to be one, even if I do offer you a mint. I'm hoping you still want to be one. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. All nations. Better translated is all people groups. Or as, as my NASB translated, all creation. You see, the Great Commission is to make disciples of the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the accountants. I don't know why they go next to the prostitutes in my notes, but they do. Both to do with money. I'll stop there. Um, builders. We're supposed to make, make disciples of all ages, all genders, all sexual persuasions. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to make disciples of people who are nice and people who aren't nice. We've, we've got to make disciples of people who go to church, and we've also got to make disciples of people who go to the local bingo hall. All people, all people. Rick Warren says this, If you want to be like Jesus, you must have a heart for the whole world. You can't be satisfied with just your family and friends coming to Christ. There are six billion people on earth, and Jesus wants all his lost children found. Jesus said, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to truly live. The Great Commission is your commission. And doing your part is a secret to living a life of significance. Yeah, I thought that was worth a clap, yeah. yeah. The Great Commission is your commission. And doing your part is a secret to a life of significance. No matter how much you analyze yourself, no matter how much you push yourself up, you will never feel significant. Because that's not the commission the church has been given. Go into all the world, make disciples of all people. You want to find significance? We need to live that. You see, when Jesus came on earth, he turned culture on its head. He ate with sinners, forgave the unforgivable, sought out the marginalized, touched and healed the untouchable. And this really annoyed a certain people group at that time, mainly the religious leaders who had devoted their lives to reading the Bible. They had whole books memorized. They would pray loads. They would go to temple loads. They, were, they would do lots of spiritual things and give up lots of things. They devoted their lives to what they thought was living a godly life. And then this guy called Jesus comes along with an amazing signs and wonders ministry, with an amazing following, with an amazing authority when he preaches. And guess what? When he's in town, he doesn't want to eat with these Pharisees. He wants to eat with the notorious sinners. And you can hear the envy in their voice when they, when they start to, to criticize him for being a sinner because who he is socializing with. Not because of what he was doing, but who he was talking to. And this is his response in Mark. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let me ask you a question. Who are the people that have the greatest need of the saving power of Jesus that you know? Now, I'll take a guess here, but I bet it's not the people in your connect group. I know we all know Jesus, but they've probably already found him. They're probably already going to heaven. They might need, you know, a bit of a facelift here and a tummy tuck there, but <laughs> they've already had the major heart surgery. They've already had the CPR. They've been brought back to life. 
Who do you know down your street who is dying, who needs CPR? Who needs the life breath of God blown into them? Who needs to have their heart pumped with the compassion of love? Who do you know who needs that? The alcoholics, yes. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Thank you. You see, if you're a doctor in the war zone, you, don't, you treat first those who are dying, not those who need plastic surgery. We are in a war zone. We are fighting a battle between heaven and hell. And there's people you know who are going to live and there's people you know who are going to die forever in hell. That is our commission. Too many Christians are trying to find a significance in the role they hold at church, scrobbling over roles and titles. They started to see each other as the enemy. It's just like having an army holed up in its barracks. They just start fighting each other and doing each other in with all the tensions, and they start thinking that each other are the enemy. No, we need to get back on the battlefield and unite together. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder, not just because we have to, but because we want to. We need to depend on one another. So, how do we do it? How, how, do, how do we have a life of outreach? Well, one thing you can do which is really good is to go on mission. Really good to go on mission. It really sharpens your focus. You, you normally have to pay for it, so it sharpens your wallet heartstrings as well um, but why wait the whole world includes your office the whole world includes your street who do you know that needs the love of God let's use our connect groups our departments our Sunday morning services to reach the lost Because put it this way, we could have a service where 99 people are worshipping who know God. And you know what? God loves it. He adores it. He turns up and he just puts his presence on it. But when one soul returns to him, he throws a party. He throws a party. So what have we done at Christmas? We started to hold evangelistic events at Christmas. Why? Because the best Christmas present for, for Father God is not all us worshipping him, though it's very good. But it's when that prodigal walks through the door and that prodigal walks through the door and they start to give their lives back to Jesus. You see, I'm a follower of Jesus and I know Jesus is the good shepherd. Now I know the good shepherd doesn't always stay with the flock, but he will leave the 99 to go after the one. Even though the one was stupid, even though the one should have listened earlier, the one should have followed behind. I mean, how stupid, how easy is it just to follow another sheep along, another, along the road? But Jesus will leave the 99 for the sake of the one who doesn't deserve it. Now, we can have, keep having nice, cozy church. Be up there on the lovely hillside with the other 99. But if we truly want to go, where Jesus sent, he said, go to the cliff face where you'll find the lost, where it may be uncomfortable, where the wind might be in your face because I don't know about you, but I want God to be happy.
I want him to throw a big party. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. He sends you too. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And his son sends you, Jared. Wow. Can you go back one slide, Lucy? Great. Some would say, so where's the prayer? Where's the Bible study? Key habits are things that if you change them, everything else falls into place. They're the things that change everything else. And part of what we're looking at with this is, what are the few things that if they changed, it would transform everything? Trust me, if you have a life of outreach, you will have a prayer life. Do you get me? If you have a life of service, then you and your, your team are going to get together and study the Bible and learn it and grow to make sure that what you're doing is biblical and, and working with God. These three, we found, are the three. If these three were in your life, your worship would be healthy. You'd, you, you, you wouldn't struggle with the discipline of a prayer life or the need to hear God's voice. Or Don't you hate it when the passion goes from your heart? These are the things that put passion in your heart. Because I don't know about you, one of the greatest blessings in my life is leading you guys. Do you know why? Well, number one, because I love you. But number two, because you terrify me. <laughs> and I, I, so I'm on my face before God going, oh, God, help me. They're looking at me like I know the answer. And when life, that, now that should be everybody's life. When life becomes like that, we're all going, oh God, you've got to come through. God wants us to be in situations where he has to come through. And so these three, if we have these three in our lives, if we're missing one, some valve in our engine won't quite work. And I've got to be honest, even if one of those three kind of makes you groan right now, work with me, honest Christians, don't you wish you didn't get a groan? Don't you wish that certain ones on that list didn't make you go, okay, the other two are fine, but not that one. Not life in circles. I don't want to be so close that somebody tells me I've got bad breath. We all want you to be that close. All right? When we get into these deep places of life together, something happens. And uh, uh, a few quotes in this wonderful book I've just found called When Spirit and Word Collide. <laughs> Available on Amazon paperback or Kindle. <laughs> the longer a church exists, the more concerned members become with self-preservation. As a 90-something-year-old church, we face this danger that we actually start to think, like a Pharisee, it is about whether we all turn up to prayer meetings or not, or whether we do good meetings or not. And we start to miss the fact that Jesus was into the spit and the dust and going for the one that went missing, right? It's real stuff. And let, here it says, the, the longer a church exists, the more concerned members become with self-preservation and the less concerned with the church's original, original reason for being. Another quote, another Rick Warren one. Oh, he's good. A church that has no interest at all in increasing its number of uh, disciples is in essence saying to the rest of the world, you can all go to hell. We can't say you can all go to hell. So what have we got to be? And there's another quote. I've got it in the, 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 the beginning of the chapter called The Revival of Discipleship, which is what we're looking at today. And it's by Scott McKnight. And he says this, those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. 
It's that simple. Followers follow. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. So we'll be following. We want to stand before God one day and go, I followed you. That's what we're here to do, to make sure everything in our world points us towards the health of following. So, so track one slide forward, Lucy. Uh, you've done it. She's thinking ahead. Fantastic. How, so how can our structure, can I, you might want to ignore the word structure. You might put processes or activities or connect groups or departments or teams or prayer meetings. How can our structure, all the things we do, encourage the three pillars in life? Now, this is what we're actually doing. So get ready for the vision piece of what is subtly beginning to change. Now, everybody say the word subtly. Say incremental. Oh, you've got to have your teeth in for that one, haven't you? Little changes are very powerful. You all know my golf story. We use it so much because often it's the little things in life that count. The story where I was going for my first golf lesson, having golf for a few years, and the instructor said to me, you know, take your stance and have a swing. I took my stance. I hit a swing. I was glad I, I hit it, and it went, uh, it went straight, and it went a certain uh, uh, length. And then he came and he manhandled me just a few inches, a bit of this and a bit of that, and stick your bum out here and your knees are not quite right there. Just adjust your hands. Minute movements. None of them were more than two-inch movements. And then he said, now swing. And I swung and hit it and it went twice as far. Tiny changes make you so much more powerful. And so we're talking about tiny adjustments. So, so don't sit and think, well, we've heard all this before. Why are we doing it again? Because we're about to make tiny acceptable, doable adjustments to our world. But our hope is that they'll become really powerful. Um, how could our activities, groups, and processes better encourage the three pillars in every person in the church without adding enormous amounts of time strain or further pressure to busy lives? And I don't know if you can read it because it's down the bottom here. And this is what we're doing effectively. All connect groups, and this has been going on already, and most departments are slowly embracing the three pillars of life in circles, life in service, and life of outreach to varying levels. And just to remind you why. So in other words, our connect groups are embracing some new principles, and our departments are embracing some new ways. And let's show you why. Do the next slide. Now, this, this is when we talk to the leaders about it, and this is Chris's ad-lib quote that was so good, it's going to be put down in history. Because this, in, in, in a couple of phrases, is what we're getting at. And see if you agree. The best departments I have ever belonged to operated like a connect group. And the best connect groups I have ever belonged to operated with a mission. In other words, a group of people with no purpose just becomes cozy. Ever been there? And if you're slightly purpose-driven, which you should be, but some of us are more inclined to be than others... It just becomes cozy. It's tea and it's cake and we're having a nice time, but we're not reaching anyone. We're not disciples. And anybody belong to a department where all you do is the task, but you don't actually know each other. You, you, you go, well, they're on the same team as me. I don't know their name. All you know is when they go missing and you think, where are they? Well, they've been in hospital for three months, but nobody knew. The very best department you can be in is one that's operating like a family. We're doing this together. We're not, not just interested in getting the task done, but in living life well together. And the danger is in church life, we can miss those things out. So this is what our future, the next year really, is beginning to look like. If we go to the next slide. 
We've got our groups, like connect groups and other kinds of groups. We've got our departments. Now, the word I really love, say it at the end there, teams. Effectively, we want to move from having groups and departments to moving towards teams. Because I don't know if this works for you. It's language, so it might get me in trouble, really. But team is purpose, but with family. Not just do a task like a department or gather in a group and just... Nothing wrong with cake and tea, but just uh, eat cake and drink tea. We want to develop slowly into teams. Every area of the church that can is moving towards becoming a team that has all three. Service, outreach, life in circles. All in varying amounts because we're all so different and have got different responsibilities. So there'll be slight adjustments. Some will do a lot of life in circles, but they must have a bit of purpose. Some will do a lot of purpose, but must make sure that we're also living together as family. And so you're going to find this adjustment slowly begins to take place uh, over the next year. And essentially these tiny developments are going to make us healthy. One of the reasons why is that as we grow bigger, we're trying to become simpler as a church. Not that you have to join multiple groups to get everything you need out of life, but actually where I'm serving is where I get good team. And where I get good team, we get to reach the lost together in some way so that health is being provoked in all of our lives and we're getting healthier and healthier moving forward with God. That's what we're doing. That's how we're developing. The great thing is it's happening already. Okay, so we've actually been doing this for about eight months and slowly developing it and finding out what works, finding where the limits are, and how it can be really effective. And so we're moving into a, a slightly adjusted structure that hopefully is going to give us health. Let me say one thing before, um, before I go into the final piece this morning. Uh, let me talk for a moment about the power of engagement. If you've got a doctor and you go to the doctor but you don't listen to what the doctor says or take the medicine that the doctor is giving you. You're not engaging. Who knows that you don't get better, right? Engagement is so powerful. Think about these words in the book of Acts. Here's healthy church and we want to be healthy. Phrases like, and everyone was devoted to. Now that is the choice of every individual heart. Every heart that says, I don't want to be involved in outreach, or I don't want to get in a circle, or I don't want to serve, is essentially disengaging from discipleship, disengaging from Jesus going, come on, follow me, this is what it's all about. Coming in, the water's fine. And of course, we all know in our modern, nice, comfy seats in our cinema with our air conditioning that's sometimes too cold at the front, but really hot at the back. We know that. Um, we, we know that in this kind of comfortable world, it's easy to remain disengaged. And it's completely up to you and your heart. All we can do as leaders is present where we're going. And we know every individual chooses whether to engage or disengage. I want to encourage you this morning, engage. We're simplifying everything to try and make it more engaging. Oh, did you feel the Holy Spirit? I oh, know, it's just Phil. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to encourage you. Engage. Don't just come for worship and teaching. I know there's a stage in our walk where we do that. We're finding out what the church is like. We're getting refreshed by worship and taught by preaching. But as we've said so many times before, it isn't really church. It's celebrating who we are as church. But church is really engaging my heart in a community with a purpose to reach the lost. And together, we can all do this. Amen.
So we've been doing it for a while. Um, a couple of years ago, we were looking at our senior leadership team. And uh, I was finding the senior leadership to be quite, quite, quite weak because essentially we were very task-orientated. I'm a very purpose-driven person. Have you noticed, everybody, I'm not very good at small talk? Anybody, just a few of you noticed that? Thank you. Thank you, the honest ones raising their hands and weeping silently. Because I'm so purpose-driven. We're all wired differently, aren't we? And, and if I get caught with someone who's really into small talk, I, I, I start to glaze over and go, oh, God, help me. And then I'm thinking of another thing. And then do you ever come back to a conversation? You go, I don't know what you just said, but now you're asking me a question. So I go, yes, no, no. You know, <laughs> I don't know what they said. We've all got to engage in stuff we're not so good at. But I, I knew that the senior team of the church was very task-orientated because we had a lot we wanted to do. And there wasn't the margin to enjoy life together. And so we moved from being a task-orientated team that had agendas. We moved over and said, right, let's lead the church as a connect group instead. So we've got our purpose, but we're going to live life together. Do you know how we did it? We said, let's eat every week together. And it transformed us. The little movement of saying we're going to eat together every week suddenly turned us from task-orientated people to family. Isn't it great to hear that some of the great revival-inspiring changes we're about to make in the church means more food? <laughs> Actually, food is deeply spiritual. They put they put food out, they put bread out in the tabernacle every seven days. And it meant this, God was saying, come and eat with me. Because it was the ultimate sign of fellowship. I want to be your friend. And you can't be everybody's friend in a church of over 650 people, but you've got to be someone's friend. And you've got to say, I know there's stuff to do and school runs to do and things to learn and wages to earn and all this stuff. But we've got to say to some, I want to be your friend. And so we changed as a senior team and it brought strength and refreshing and life. And another one, the worship team. Another little example of how it's adjusted. You take a worship team, you think, well, what can they do for outreach? They're here leading us in worship. But I remember, Phil, I don't know, four, three or four months ago, doing an open mic night. No, it would have been out four months ago. An open mic night. And people that don't yet know Jesus came along and, and sang. And then, then they came and sang in our Christmas celebrations. And it, in that time, that whole family responded to Jesus in some way. And God began to touch their heart. Who knows? Every single department can find a way to go we're going to give some time to reaching the lost together because it's healthy every one of us can do it we're already doing it and we're just saying as a leadership and as your pastors and friends come on more 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 let's reach this region and beyond let's welcome Chris back he's going to tell a couple of more stories about how we're doing this and then he's going to wrap up so the Connect Groups have started this journey as well. Um, before Christmas, I, I gave them something called the Connect Group Challenge. And that was to, to create an event which they can invite non-Christians to. And then the only goal in that event was to invite them to, to a Christmas service. And I'm there in B&Q shopping at the Tills. And I hear Bob. And he's like saying, you're coming tonight, aren't you? And you're coming tonight. What was he doing? He was making sure that the people he'd invited from work were coming to the, to the Connect Group challenge that they had put on. We had our friend Janice's group go around an old people's home singing carols. We had Christine and Audrey's group. And, and they put on a craft evening. And uh, 
and, and, and sang some carols and gave a Christmas message. And there was more of those. But some connect groups didn't do that way. And this is where we're talking about slight adjustments. Some connect groups instead, they, they, they took the, um, the bring free people to the, to the Christmas service seriously. And what they decided to do was, was pray pray and name those free people in the connect group and we pray from every time they meet that is having a life of outreach that is just there's the smallest change you can do put some you know accountability there did you talk to them did you talk, did you get away did you pray from this week that's it not much different um so yes joe can you come up how can we start this discipleship course how can we start the next step on getting on to being in life in circles, life of service, life of outreach. Joe's just coming to help me here. There's three simple steps which you can take to start this journey. The first is to visit Joe, who's going to be on the, on the balcony um, after the service. And if you haven't already, fill in a Getting Connected card. We can only connect with you if we know who you are. If you don't give us your email address, we can't email you. If you don't give us your telephone address, we can't ring you. You you don't have to put everything in. You can just give what what you're um, comfortable with. Um, We do keep it all safe. No one else can see it. Only the people which need to see it, like the pastors um, and maybe your department leaders can see it. That's number one. Not that hard. Number two is you go and see Joe again. You might want to do it all at the same time because that's the easiest and say, hey, Joe, I hear that I can come to a welcome lunch if I'm new to Revive. And Joe says, yes, you can. And then he puts you down for the next welcome lunch. We're having one this afternoon in Kingswood House. Free, free food. What more do you want? I mean, free food. Greg's. We're not even cooking it. It's from Greg's. Um, And then the third thing, again, you go to the info point, either before the service or on the balcony afterwards, and you say, hey, I've heard they're doing this course called Rooted. How do I get on this course called Rooted? Today, you can join up to the next Rooted course, which will take place in April. I think it's April the 18th, but Joe can tell you after service. Um, I'm planning to have lots of different rooted courses happening after Easter, some uh, fortnightly, some on Mondays, some on Wednesdays. If you've got a connect group, your connect group can do it. Why are we pushing rooted? Because rooted has these three pillars in them. It has the pillars of service. It has the pillars of, of, of doing life in circles. And it has the pillar of outreach. If you want to go further on your, on your discipleship journey, if you want to go forward with your life of Jesus, get on that rooted course. It will transform your life. And guess what? It will also transform the lives of the people around you. Because it teaches you not just to get discipled yourself, but to disciple the people around you.